0: Wow. Yeah, I was trying not to get emotional, and then I do, and then I can't hide it, and so, but I hope today, if you are watching this later, you're going to be like, what is he talking about? That's why you should come every Sunday. But um, I just hope today that you have already experienced the presence of Jesus because it's so much more than just about the sermons we preach and what we do as far as talking it's about receiving and it's about listening and it's about hearing God in different ways and i hope that today as we've read scripture a little bit and as we've sung these songs that you have already heard God minister to you and that the truth of these songs and the truth of scripture has given you confidence Uh, To live who God has called you to be. And so, that lines up well with my sermon. Because today I want to talk about the Anabaptists and the Great Commission. Because this is a tension that if we can be very honest, not all Anabaptists have held well. How to be an Anabaptist and how to share the gospel how to be separated from the world, and how to go into the world. We have not done well in all areas. Now, I speak that broadly, maybe more in our context, but we started this series, can you believe it, three weeks ago, we started this series and we looked at where it all began. We looked at Jesus and his birth, and then we looked at Christendom and Constantine And I made some pretty strong comments. I'm not a fan of Constantine. And then we jumped all the way from there to the Reformation. And we started introducing people that we should know. Michael Settler, Felix Munz, Conrad Grable, and many, many more. And then you've got Swingley, and you've got got, uh, Martin Luther, and all these important people in our lives. The second week, we looked at the radical, uh, radical discipleship. And we, we, uh, we considered, you know, when Jesus called us to follow him, the German word, the high German word for that is to be a Nachfolger, To be a follower of Jesus. Not to just sit in a class, not to just sit in a seat and hear someone preach or teach about being a disciple or making discipleship and, or disciples and those kind of things. We need to daily... Follow Jesus, regardless of what that might cost us, even if it costs us our lives. And then last week, we looked at two specific Anabaptist beliefs. We looked at this approach to Scripture, that they are people not of the book, but of the man. And if you haven't heard this, you need to go back and and listen to that, because we Read Scripture through the lens of Jesus. The Word became flesh. Very, very important key to understanding Scripture. So anytime you begin to interpret Scripture to mean anything other than what was modeled and taught by Jesus, well then, we need to consider whether or not we have an accurate understanding of Scripture. So Scripture must be read through that lens. Now I don't... And that led us then to talking about nonviolence. And uh, you did well. Uh, I know not everyone um, here would take the same stance. And and we talked about the importance of not having this conversation through those extreme, you know, what would you do if, you know, we can't have those kind of conversations, you know, through the lens of these extreme situations. And guess what you all did? You brought me your extreme situation. Thank you very much. What about Hitler? What about, what about? And it's like, oh, okay, I'm glad you did. But, you know, we need to be careful with that because in those kind of extreme situations, it's complicated. But we need to first settle where do we land in the area of nonviolence and nonresistance. Now, I don't know if I need to clarify this, but I will because the last thing I would ever want is for some of you here who are or who have been in abusive relationships to hear me say that you should stay no matter what. That's not at all what I'm saying. There is zero room for domestic violence, whether that is against a spouse or against a child. And if you are in such a relationship, that you are not bound to remain there. And so non-resistance and non-violence doesn't mean that you stay in a place where you are being mistreated, and so like I said, I don't know if I need to clarify that, but I do want that to be something that is understood, that non-resistance and non-violence does not mean having to stay in a place where you are repeatedly mistreated. So in these three sermons, and so far in our series, and we're wrapping our series up today, we've looked at different topics of the Anabaptists. And I know that these have been long, and I am going to do my best to have you out of here on time today. Um, And so, you've done really well. Um, You've sat through this, and you've had lots of teaching. We also had the course here. And so, let's dive now into what we're thinking about today in regard of the Anabaptists and the Great Commission. The first thing that needs to be said before we start this is that we have to recognize that the Anabaptists were not perfect, We've looked mostly at areas where they did really well, but we should know that they did not always agree and they did not always land in the same place and it wasn't always just a perfect environment back then. Even in the early um, Anabaptist groups, there were splinter groups already. There were groups that didn't believe in the same things. And so what we will look at today is definitely in line of that. Not all Anabaptists agreed on how we should live in the world and yet be separated from the world. But however, for the most part, the Anabaptists knew how they should live. And they were regarded as good citizens by most people, even by their opponents. I want to read you uh, a description from a man named Franz Agricola. Uh, Agricola. That's how I'm going to say it. Agricola. He's a 16th century Roman Catholic theologian and he actually wrote a book and the title of his book is Against the Terrible Heirs of the Anabaptists. A wonderful topic or, or title. Against the, the heirs of, Terrible Heirs of the Anabaptists. Listen to how he describes the Anabaptists. Among the existing heretics, heretical set, there is none that which in appearance leads a more modest or pious life than the Anabaptists. As a concern, their outward public life, they are irreproachable. No lying, deception, swearing, strife, harsh language, no intemperate eating and drinking, no outward personal display is found among them. But humility, patience, uprightness, neatness, honesty, temperance, straightforwardness, in such measure that one would suppose that they had the Holy Spirit of God. He's saying all this amazing stuff and he concludes, but even then I still see that they are heretics. And they might just have the Holy Spirit. One could think they had the Holy Spirit based on how well they lived, but because at that time the Anabaptists believed in some different things, they were considered heretics. Stewart Murray in his book, The Naked Anabaptist, references moments where Anabaptists, um, you know, where they lived. And so people who lived very good lives would be arrested on the assumption that they must be Anabaptists because of how good they lived. And so when a person was, you know, accused of being an Anabaptist, well, you knew that meant that they could be persecuted and they could even be put to death. I think this speaks volumes of the lives that we are called to live, that people around us would actually know and recognize that we are different based on how we live. This lines up with what Jesus taught in John 13, 34. Jesus said here, A man, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Anabaptists had a reputation back then of living so well that even someone who wasn't an Anabaptist, if they lived well, they would be accused of possibly being an Anabaptist. Anybody want to guess how they could prove to the church that they were not Anabaptist? Crazy. They had to curse God. And by cursing God, they could prove that they were not actually all that holy and therefore they couldn't be Anabaptists. So the church was okay with them committing a sin to prove that they hadn't gone over to the Anabaptist side. Now let me take a personal jab here. If you think that's crazy, I personally don't think that's any crazier than some of these beliefs that it is okay to go drink and party but not play sports. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know? I grew up in that environment. Oh my goodness, if you had a ball and played sports, you'd just committed the unforgivable sin. But go ahead, spend time on the streets, drink and do your thing. Go out with the bunch and have fun. Sad. That's when we start realizing we've made our own rules and we are our own governors and that's not healthy. The Anabaptists believe that the meaning of the church and the mission of the church, in a sense, were interdependent, if not identical. Identical. They understood that to belong to the church meant living as Christ, and I want you to hear this: that what Christ had called the individual to do, the church must be. We, as a church, must be what Jesus modeled for us to be. Like the early um, church in Acts, their mission, their evangelism was based on their testimony, not just their doctrine, not just you know things that they knew how to present on their testimony. There was little in the way in these early Anabaptists of organizational pro, um, you know, programs and such. These were not something they had. They lived out their testimony and through that, they were able to follow Jesus. This was their true essence. Their faith, their worship, fellowship, witness, service. These were the irreductible elements of the church of Christ. Which became obvious, and I want you to hear this obvious in times of persecution. Church, if we were to truly be persecuted, we would no longer be concerned about things like what color the rug is in the sanctuary. We would truly be concerned about our relationship with Jesus because our time could end at any moment. One of the things that the Anabaptists were very, very, or that mattered very much to them was the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, you know this, Jesus is speaking. It says, then Jesus came to them, the early disciples and the apostles, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now he gives the command, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. J.D. Graeber says the following in, re- in describing the view of the Anabaptists in, in the area of evangelism. He says, One of the cardinal principles of the evangelical Anabaptists, now that's a phrase you don't often hear, was the acceptance of the Bible as the authoritative word of God. The Great Commission was given to be obeyed. Naturally, so clear-cut a command of Christ, five times repeated in the Gospels and in Acts, must be taken serious. Anabaptists recognized back then that they had to go and declare the Gospel of Jesus. The Protestant Reformers, this is not a slam, but this is reality, became more concerned about domestic issues and didn't give much thought to world mission. This silence, this strange silence is understandable considering what was all happening at that time, but it is not an excuse. To stop missions is never an excuse, no matter what is happening in our lives. Many of the early reformers, Protestant reformers, believed also that the Great Commission was only given to the early apostles and therefore it expired with them. And they did not believe that it was something Christ called the local church to now. While the reformers sidestepped the Great Commission, the Anabaptists did not. The Anabaptists believed in separation from the world, but they also understood that it did not mean abandoning their call to reach those who have not yet heard of Christ. They were able to hold these two tensions at the same time, or this tension, I should say, at the same time. That they were part of the world. They were to be separate from the world. But they were not to abandon the world. They were to still go into the world. The Anabaptists were among the first to make the Great Commission binding. okay, Binding. Not only to their leaders, but also upon all church members. When you became a member of the Anabaptists, they considered the Great Commission binding. And here we would say leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, is something every one of us must do. While the state church could either force conversions upon people, and they did that a lot, or they chose to be only in places where it was safe, the Anabaptists had a very different approach. They felt compelled by love, To go into those places, whether it was their neighborhoods or to go further, to share the gospel of Jesus, even if it meant risking their own lives. And sadly, some of the early Anabaptists, like I said, not all of them, were perfect. Some of the early Anabaptists lost this view of the binding to the Great Commission. Especially those from the Swiss and the German The Swiss and German Anabaptists. So here's something you should know. The Swiss and the German Anabaptists um, are, these are the ancestors of our early Amish and Mennonite communities. And Sadly, I would say that um, by and large, the Great Commission has never been fully reclaimed by the Amish and many Mennonites the focus is often more on separation than on the Great Commission. Which is a terrible thing. Not only considering the words of Jesus to go, but especially considering the words of even Menno Simons himself. In Menno Simons' view, who we get our name from, this is taken, let me read this to you, it's a bit lengthy, but this is taken from the great are from the complete writings of Menno Simons. He says this This is my only joy and the desire of my heart that I may extend the borders of the kingdom of heaven, make known the truth, reprove sin, teach righteousness, feed the hungry souls with the word of God, lead the stray sheep into the right path, and win souls for the Lord through his spirit power. Therefore, we preach as much as possible, day by day and by night, both by day and by night, in houses and in fields, in forests and waste, hither and yon, at home or abroad, in prisons and in dungeons, in water and in fire, on the scaffold and on the wheel, before the lords and the princesses, through the mouth and the pen, with possessions and and blood, with life, and death. We have done this these many years, and we are not ashamed of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, while the early Anabaptists that we have talked about so far in the sermon, most of them were well-educated, it is clear, though from history, that the, man, that the command to go and evangelize was not only something that the educated Anabaptists believed. As a matter of fact, the Anabaptists had a saying that said, the craftsmen might make a better missionary than the cultured man. They believed that the common man could reach the common man better than a pastor or an educated person. This is exactly what they did. They went into places and they preached. Now again, the Reformers... They resisted this wandering, as they called it, of the Anabaptists. And they even condemned the practice of these wandering missionaries. And they said, these people are being irresponsible because these wandering missionaries are going out and they are neglecting their families and they are not you know, doing their jobs and they're spending all of their time wandering around and sharing the gospel. The Protestants saw this as very irresponsible. Now it's important to, again, understand that at this time... There was no organizational structure, really. There wasn't a, here's how to share the gospel. And so these these wandering missionaries simply went into homes and they had conversations. They lived out their lives. And they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I think there's a danger sometimes that we become more dependent on our programs and on our process than on the witness and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in and out of us. That when you live your life... Truly to lead people to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And that is your heart. People at your work and at your school and in your homes and in your families will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. And it will flow out of you. We need to understand that. We need to embrace that. Even if you're sitting here going, I don't have an education. I don't have this. Live in such a way that you are representing the gospel of Jesus and you will be a testimony. What is clear, what is very clear, is that this was effective. These wandering missionaries, it worked. Many came to Christ. Many were baptized. I want to introduce you to one man, Leonard Bowen. He was an important Dutch Anabaptist elder, a fairly commoner, you know, just a, but an Anabaptist, he was an elder. He was ordained by Menno Simons in 1551. He traveled to great distances to preach the gospel. And as exciting and beautiful as that all is, his wife wasn't a big supporter. She feared for him because of the dangers of his trips. And so she was reluctant at times. And so even Menno Simons got involved and he tried to persuade her to consent to his trips. Well, nonetheless, he journeyed farther and farther. All the way to North Holland, into Flanders, modern-day Belgium. He kept records of the number of people he baptized at each place. And between 1551 and 1588, he baptized a total of 10,252 people. Incredible. Now, because we need to be honest, and it's so often to tell stories in history... Uh, of history that only show the good, let me also tell you that not everything about this man is rosy. Just to ruin the mood, right? Come on, give us a hero. Well, this hero had bruises. For example, the church made three accusations against him one, for accepting 50 talers, German currency at that time, for giving spiritual advice. Ooh, that sounds familiar. In 1565, Dirk Phillips removed him, deordained him, and six other elders. And this resulted, if you are aware of this, this resulted in the great split between the Flemish and the Frisians in 1567. Our hero suddenly also had personal ambitions that got in the way of ministry at times. We need to be honest. See, it would be easy to skip over these not-so-good details, but we can't. We need to recognize, because that speaks to us today, that even if we have some flaws, and even if not everything in us is good and perfect, God can still use us amazingly. Amazingly. So never discount yourself. Obviously, you need to repent, and you need healing, and you need to be restored. But never say, oh, because there are some things in my life that are not perfect, God surely cannot use you. God has always used damaged and bruised and at times very ugly vessels. And he can use us today. So as I said before, the early Anabaptists were not perfect. And they failed many times. However, they were passionate about sharing the gospel. We know that the Anabaptists had a tremendous missionary zeal. And due to persecution, many went into exile. And like the early church, they shared the gospel of Jesus wherever they went. Due to the persecution, a group, a large group of people became pilgrims, exiled for Christ. This led many to Moravia, where today still the Hutterite settlements are. And this is where they started originally. And the Hutterites, you may not know much about them because we don't have a lot around this area... But the Hutterites, they played a key part in the Anabaptist movement at that time, both with personnel and as a place of refuge for the missionaries who went to Tyrol in South Germany. You may remember, we mentioned this place already because this is where, this is the location where 40% of those who were martyred were women. And the Hutterites in Moravia allowed and provided refuge for them and sent personnel there to help. They played a tremendous role. On August 20th, 1527, 60 Anabaptist delegates came together to create what is known as the Martyrs Synod. It could be called, or it maybe should be called, the Missionary Synod because for the first time, they believed That they needed to divide the land. They needed to have a plan to go out and to preach. And so they went and they delegated and they organized a little bit more. And so people went out for the express purpose of declaring the gospel and to make disciples. Those who attended. They represented the outstanding leaders and missionaries of that time. And within a few years, all of them had died for their faith. Hence why it is called what it's called. The fate of the Anabaptist missionary was usually this. They would be seized, and they would be, their, their execution was sealed without trial or hearing. If you were a missionary, for Jesus at that time, it meant almost certain death. There are records that we have Of executioners who carried out the sentence, and they would make remarks like this How they love one another. And this led to many executioners laying down their swords and surrendering their lives to Christ and joining the Anabaptist movement. Anabaptists were known to follow the example of the early church. They shared in their possessions. They shared in their, what they had and they, they cared for one another. They had community with one another and naturally this was something that was incredibly appealing to the people at that time. And that is where I want to end our series. Just stop right there. We started with the birth of Jesus and now here we stop with the Great Commission. And I would like us today, to breathe in again that we are bound, that there's a binding to us and the Great Commission as well. Yes, we too must wrestle with this tension of being separated from the world and being commanded by Jesus to go into the world. So allow us, or allow me to give us a caution Never become so separate from the world that you no longer have an impact. And never become so immersed in the world that you have no witness. We must hold this tension well. And we must recognize that as a church... That the great commission was given to us not to know, not just to preach, not just to, to tell others about, but it is given to us to live out. And it must be done by every single one of us who call ourselves Jesus followers. And may we also know this, that in the book of Acts and in the scriptures, we have a history Of our ancestors and people who have gone before us. Who have followed Jesus and lived out His calling and sacrificed well. And then within our own Anabaptist history. We have a rich history of those who have gone before us. Therefore, 500 years from now. This will sound like a guilt thing but it's not. Therefore, 500 years from now. I trust that they are speaking the same way about us as we do about them today. So go, hold this tension, separate from the world, but commanded to go into it. And God will equip you, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do what he has commanded us to do. Amen? Let's pray. So Jesus, you commanded it, go. And Holy Spirit, you empowered it. You came upon those disciples. and From that day on, they were able to do things they had not been able to do before. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come upon us in the same way. you're listening to this later or now, and if you're in the room, I wonder if you would just hold your hands out, and if you truly want this, to receive the Holy Spirit in a way that he would empower you to go and to lead people to Christ. We surrender ourselves. We recognize that we have maybe at times also remained silent on this matter. But Jesus, you have called us. You have commanded us to go. So Holy Spirit, I pray for those of us here in this room who are saying, use me. Use me. That you would now also fill us. And that you would line those up that you want us to reach. That you would line those moments up, those talks, those meetings, those times of being an example. God, go before us now. Line up those moments. So that when we Experience that moment. You have already been there. And we pray, God, that people would come to know you, Jesus. And may you receive all the honor and the glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.